0: I've been in dogs since 1991. We breed dogs that we want to train. I was up here in western Nebraska riding Harleys and training dogs. I don't sugarcoat anything, and if you don't like it, tough.
1: Hello and welcome to episode two of season two of the Flatlander Kennels podcast with chris Jobman, we are at it again this season and ready to get geared up today we're going to be talking about how to transition your dog from hunting back into the hunt test game So, we've got chris here to help us out on this topic how are you doing this evening chris
0: good buddy how are you look at us go like two podcasts in a row like you've trapped yeah me. you've trapped me tonight <laughs> to do podcasts so here we go
1: <laughs> i gotta get Thank as many you. as possible if i can just get you to sit down
0: I, I I get it, man. I get it. I'll be doing them in Texas pretty soon in the kitchen for you. And I, yeah. I There's nothing more that I'd rather do than do podcasts. Let me tell you.
1: Last time you went down there, you lost your mic.
0: Correct. I think we found it's, it.
1: No, you bought another one.
0: And we found the one that we lost.
1: Oh, so now you have two. You
0: know, remember that angry elf I was telling you about? She's staring at me yeah. right now.
1: <laughs> have you ever said that to your wife when she's actually mad at you?
0: Oh yes, probably. Like she's literally <laughs> glaring at the mic. Look at
1: she; she's an angry elf. <laughs>
0: anyway, let's move on, move on, move on. Aboard, aboard, aboard.
1: All right. So I tips have two mics for, now.
0: I have two mics we,
1: now. We should hook them both up and see if it improves the sound.
0: <laughs> Whatever we gotta do.
1: So. Or if you ever but bring, maybe you have about, a guest.
0: Let's on. talk about. You know, it's been a long hunting season for everybody. A lot of our dogs are going home. They've gone home. Now they're coming back. Um, Let's talk about kind of how to get your dog kind of back into training mode, hunt test mode, what you kind of need to fix coming out of hunting season, which you'll probably see, you know, how to, you know, give it a schedule not to overdo it. Um, Let's, let's, let's talk about all that.
1: Yeah, I, I would love that. And like, I would love for you to answer for an amateur where, for someone like me, Georgie just got her HRCH last year. Where would I even start, like training session one? What, what, where one would thing, be the good place to jump yeah, in? Yeah,
0: the number one thing you're going to see coming out of hunt season is is your, your erosion of control. Your your lack of your control goes way down, and what I mean by that is I mean everything. I mean your healing, your sitting, your steadiness, your your lines to your blinds. Um, Fading with, marks, fading with the wind on marks, spading with the wind on blinds, um, casting into the wind. Most of those dogs are going to scallop when they cast. Now they're going to dig back instead of taking angles. A lot of that control is going to be gone. And usually <laughs> the dogs that suffer the most are your intermediate type dogs, like your HR and senior hunter type dogs. And those dogs usually suffer the most because they're not quite as advanced as your HRCH master hunter or your grand dogs, MNHs. So, those dogs are at the intermediate level and that 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 control erodes really really quick because let's face it they didn't have a ton of control to begin with before hunting season and some of my owners which most of them are getting really really good at now of of not ruining their dog during hunting season they're like they're keeping them under control if the dog develops a breaking problem they're tying them out they're not letting them break they're not letting them have noise so that our dogs are getting every year they're coming back better and better shape as far as, as control goes. But what what's going to happen a lot of times you're going to see a dog when you start running marks, they may end up hunting short. You know, they get stuck in drag back, which drag back for those that you don't know is is when a dog goes out and gets a bird and comes back, they're dragging that bird is hitting the grass, the water even on ponds and marshes. They're, you know when you're training it's multiple retrieves a lot of times multiple dogs so there's drag back in there so a lot of these hunting dogs have re, instead of relying on their eyes to find the bird they're relying on their nose so what ends up happening now is is when they go out on a mark they hit drag back and they don't make it all the way to the mark because their nose is taking over their eyes right so what i suggest doing when that you get them back is do a lot of singles um, even white coat singles are great that don't try to hide the marks don't try to hide the wingers if you have somebody throwing for you you know put them in a white coat so that they have something to focus their eyes on and you throw the bird and they're they're focused on the bird and their destination right if you try to hide the wingers all the time like a lot of hrc people think it's really fun to hide everything when in all reality it'd be really good to have a person standing out there especially first coming out of hr out of hunting season And that way, they can their eyes have something to focus on, instead of you know breaking down short, and then you're having to handle or they're having to help, which is kind of hurt their confidence. Let's you know, let's face it, it kind of hurts their confidence. So if you have something for them to focus on, it gives them a destination, and it really helps them. Like, oh yeah, I got to use my eyes again. And once that starts, and once they get better at that, then you can kind of take that you know exposed gun away if you want. And start hiding your wingers behind holding blinds and, and cover or whatever. But I would start with like an A, B, C, D drill. Um, for those that you don't know, it's it's a Lardy drill that you can look it up anywhere out there. But the A, B, C, D drill, which is basically like four, four or five marks with white coats. And they're basically just running really tight lines. You know, all the marks are for between nine and th- three, so to speak. And you got four or five marks between nine and three, all in varying distances. So you'll have a lot of running really tight lines going where your eyes tell you to go, not where your nose tells you to go.
1: And uh, just one at a time, just a single, get a single, then get B. Singles. Yep. <clears throat> mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Start, you know, start with your, you know, maybe your far one of your farther marks. The dog has to look past them on the white coats to their focus on their eyes. You know, do a lot of multiples, do a lot of multiples off single guns, uh, excuse me, singles off of multiple guns. I got that wrong. Singles off of multiple guns. I'm going to do a ton of that. And what I'll probably do when, when I start, when we get down to Texas, I will run like a marking setup in the morning. And I'll do a a blind and handling setup in the afternoon. I will probably try to keep for a little bit. I will probably try to keep, um, especially with these dogs are just coming back. I will probably try to even the advanced dogs. I will keep marks as marks and blinds are blinds. And Hmm. let's get them really, really good running marks, singles, And then once they're running good singles, maybe throw in double-double or delay triple. And then in the afternoons, I'll do some blinds where all we're running is blinds, like a Chinese blind drill, where you have one line and you have three-legged or a four-legged or a five-legged blind. They're not pattern blinds, but they're they're, they're cold blinds for the advanced dogs. Um, And they're not real, real far yet. And we're just looking at taking separate lines, tap, taking good initial lines, taking good casts. I'm not talking about running 200 yards, five 200-yard blinds. I'm talking maybe 100 yards apiece. And get in and get out as quickly as you can, good casts so they, they get to the bumper and bird, you know, rel- relatively quickly. Building their stamina, you know, they haven't, let's just face it, they haven't trained a lot. Um, they've been hunting a lot. So you build their stamina. You don't want to hurt them. You don't want to hurt their joints. You don't want to hurt their knees and building that stamina. Now these young season level dogs that we're going to get back, I am probably going to set up some pattern blinds and I'm probably going to run pattern blinds with them for a couple weeks. So, because they just started running a decent cold blind, if they are a season senior level dog. So what I'll probably do with them, so I don't hurt their, you know, I'll do a lot of singles with them too, as well. They'll run the singles. They'll do all those sort of things. But with them dogs, I'll probably run a lot of pattern blinds for about a couple of weeks to get good initial lines. Look, get getting them looking out confidently. Um, now I'm not talking about running the white buckets. That's a completely different monster, which I don't do, but I'm talking a pattern blind where somebody goes out there, identifies a location. And it's a destination blind and they're taught blinds. So, and we'll get into all that down the flow chart, but they're a taught destination. And I'll run those pattern blinds, the same pattern blind for three or four days. Move to a different set of pattern blinds, a little bit harder, a little bit longer, a little bit tougher. Three or four days, do the same thing. And that way, we get them get them looking out confidently, and and kind of knows where they're going. Because these younger dogs, you may you may start seeing some head swinging, you may start seeing some bugging, that sort of thing. When you start running cold blinds. Because let's face it, they've all their blinds in hunt season are probably 30 to 75 yards at the most. So now you start asking them for you know better change of direction, quicker whistle sits. and that's another thing you'll probably see some of these um, whistle sits on your dogs aren't as sharp as they should be because a lot of people lack on that during hunt season. so you need a dog, you need to, you know bullet sit whistle, Nick bullet sit whistle again, get their whistle sits real sharp and you can do your whistle sits in a pattern blind set situation better than you can in a cold blind situation for these young dogs. <clears throat> so, and with Georgie, I may, if I were you, you know, she's an HRCH getting ready to run master. It might not be a bad idea for Georgie to do one or two weeks of these pattern blinds because you said earlier <clears throat> she was running blinds and not wanting to go past a certain distance. Right. right, so, set right. Up, so set up, you know, maybe your first, Set of pattern blinds not a whole lot of cover or train or anything like that but maybe set them up at 150 yards and she goes she i know she can do it but you have to you know pattern blinds are you have to teach that destination mm-hmm. and maybe the first day you do them 100 yards you have somebody to help you and the next day you come back and be started 100 yards and then the next day it's 150 so now you're getting her to run 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 right build that momentum up again and then now you work on your stopping and your handling at a distance because now she's kind of broken that hunting momentum where she's picked up everything at 30, 40 yards. So now you're getting- so.
1: H- how do you teach them? What's your process for teaching them the destination? And then do you do the same blind multiple days?
0: Yes. So that's, that's what a pattern blind is. So what I'll do if I, I'll have my helper, let's just say I'm sitting at six o'clock, and I'm just say I'm just going to run three of them, one to nine o'clock ish, one to twelve o'clock. You know, one to three o'clock, but they're they're you can do they're the same distance, so they're just kind mm-hmm. of across the borders. Let's just say there's three of them, and you have one at 45 degree angle, one at straight away, one at the other 45 degree angle. And I'll take my helper, and he'll be on a four wheeler, and I'll put up a little blind pole or whatever, and I'll have him go hey 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 hey, and he'll he'll throw a bumper down, right? Okay. And I'll send them on back. I'll just send them on, or or, or he can toss it, and I'll send them on their name. It doesn't really matter. All you're doing is teaching that destination. Yeah, and then I, and I'm having him lay a bumper down on on the return, and I'll send him again to that destination. They'll have him move mm-hmm. to the other one, do the same thing on the other one, do the same thing. So now we're teaching that destination. And at mm-hmm. the end of the day, at the end of that session, so they've ran the the left one, the middle one, the right one twice with my helper out there. If they've got enough tank in their you know gas in their tank, it's not too hot. Then I'll, and I'll have when that helper moves to the next one. I'll have them leave a bumper there, move to the next one, leave a bumper, leave a bumper. And I'll send him again, left one, middle one, right one, but he won't be out right. there, but they know right. the destination. Now, mm-hmm. if you don't have a helper, you have to physically walk out there.
1: <clears throat> and they watch you walk.
0: Or you, they walk with you. Okay. And you go up, you go, you make them sit at maybe 50 yards. And then you walk up and you throw one out in, into the, blind pole you walk back and you send them and then you but you have multiple bumpers there like three of mm-hmm. them right so then you send them and pick up one then you go back to 75 yards you send them again pick up one. back to 100 yards send them again now you picked up all three now work on your middle one teaching that destination what you don't mm-hmm. want to do is have 10 bumpers at the first one 10 at the second one 10 at the third one because let's just say you get your dog, you get the first one picked up, you send to the middle one, and now all of a sudden they want to run back to the first one because they know there's more bumpers there, and they're dealing with a young dog who doesn't want to stop. Now you've caused all kinds of problems. This way, if a dog does blow you off and gets over the number one pattern blind, there's nothing there for them to be rewarded. Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
1: And initially, you're not stopping them ever. It's just straight, just go.
0: Yeah. If you have to, if they're veering way, way offline, stop them and put them back online. But hopefully, yeah. you're not. Hopefully, they're just running to that destination. Right. So the next right. day, when you come out the next day, you won't have anybody identify them. They've already known where they're at. You go to the exact same place, the exact same destination, the exact mm-hmm. same line. Now they have to kind of remember these and this will help their memory as well to work on their memory for some multiple marks. And then now they will have to remember. Now they're having to use a
1: little bit of memory.
0: And then they, and the whole you,
1: goal you, is, Hey, remember we keep going. We go, go. That's just, the, just the whole, keep running, the whole keep thing running, is, keep running, right.
0: keep running for sure. So, yep. and i like I said, my young season dogs that come back, we will probably, we'll probably do some of those pattern blinds. Um, and then the young finished dogs, like the preachers and the rips of the world that are coming back, we'll probably start with really, really small, simple cold blinds to make sure, hey, they're stopping to the whistle still really good. They're casting where I want them to go. and Because now I don't want them to be out 200 yards working on whistle sits because distance erodes control. So Mm -hmm. I don't want them at 200 yards working on whistle sits when I can be working on it at 50 yards. You see what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? So Mm -hmm. then, then those younger advanced dogs will start with really easy cold
1: blinds and we'll advance them
0: they'll and they'll advance pretty quickly to a bigger blind once they realize what's going on.
1: So, yeah. so that would be the whole session We wouldn't mix any if the, the first time I go out, I want to not not mix any marks in. It's just gonna be two, two, two and then one, one, one. So it's gonna be nine
0: patterns. Yeah. Lines, I mean, yeah, and yeah. And that and so and that's I, like day. I said I would keep your marks, your marks, your blinds, your blinds, blinds for now. Right. Because you just you need to work on your marking and your eyesight. And and go and then their blinds need to be working on your initial lines, stopping to a whistle, casting and building back building back some of the momentum that you've probably lost during hunting season. Mm-hmm. And once you think her momentum is back and she's looking out pretty confidently and your dog is looking out confidently, then you can go get out of your patterns and and get into your cold blinds. If you have a young advanced dog like Georgie, don't worry. Don't stay in pattern blinds forever. One or two weeks. Yeah maybe even a week is enough, and then get back into cold blinds because all you're doing them at that point is if you stay in the pattern blinds too long for a dog that's, that's lining everything, all you're teaching them to do is run straight and not handle. So don't stay in them yeah. too long, but you want them, if you have a dog that stopped, they may be a little bit of a popping problem on blinds where they're stopping, looking back at you for direction you haven't stopped them. Run them into some pattern blinds a little bit, get their momentum going, and then get out of pattern blinds. hmm but um, but no, and, and, and everybody needs to be really careful, too, about overdoing your training session when you get your dog back. Just because hunting season's over, I mean, don't go out there, hey, we're going to do 15 marks or 20 blinds a day, and that's just, that's too much. Gradually work them back into being in, you know, physical shape. Because let's just face it, a hunting dog, unless they're a pheasant dog, if they're a true black waterfowl dog, they're more like a football player. They go in 30, 40 second spurts, right? And then they rest. Then they go in spurts and then they rest. They're not just running constant like a big like a big setup to take 10, 15 minutes a dog. They haven't ran 10 or 15 minutes straight for months. So don't think they're going to be able to do that and not hurt yourself or you know overdo it because you can overheat a dog at 70 degrees. Really,
1: are they more injury prone this time of year, just as far as muscles, ligaments, for joints? Sure,
0: 100% yeah. for sure. Because this is a lot of times where people will pop knees, you know, do all those things because they're overexerting themselves and they're kind of, you know, they might be a little bit wobbly in their legs and the knees, they might be, you know, exhausted. They hit a hole or a little low spot where any given day it's a piece of cake for this dog to get through there. But where it's physically exhausted and maybe it's a little bit wobbly, they're not as strong, them little holes or them little low spots can going to really, really hurt them because they're just trying, they're trying to stand up. You know what I mean? They're just exhausted. Yeah. And some of these dogs won't quit. They, they, they won't quit until you tell them to quit. And then it's too late. Yeah. So just ease into all that, you know, ease to do a lot, do a lot of singles, you know, do some control work where they have to honor and you know, they got to make sure they're really steady. Um, Get all that control back. You know, I a lot, you know, I like when I send the dog, I like to put my hand down, give them a second or two, let them focus, then I send them, right? I don't cover their eyes up, I put my hand down. Some of these dogs, when they get them back, because their owners have done it and they're excited, the second my hand goes down, they'll want to leave. I guarantee it. I'll put my hand down and they're gone. And I don't want that because they may not be looking where I want them to look, right? So I'll put my hand down. And they'll just want to leave. So that's where you have to know, here, sit down, sit, put your hand down, sit, sit, and kick them off. So you've got to get them back on your page and, and slow yeah. down because a lot of things during hunt season, a lot of stuff is really fast. You know, you're, everything's quicker. Your your patience isn't as good. You're handling yep. too quick. You're sending too much. Birds are coming. Your buddies are yelling at you. Here they come. Here they come.
1: You got so you gun know. slung over your shoulder half the time. Correct.
0: Yeah. And you're sliding in the mud and you're just trying to hurry and get it back. Maybe the delivery is not the greatest. You just rip them out of their mouth. So now when you get them back from hunting season, you have to retrain them on the mechanics and you have to retrain yourself. Right. So you have to slow down, be way more methodical. And in turn, your dog will be better, way more methodical and, and get them back in the swing of things. And you slow down, they slow down let everything come to you, let everything come to them and just don't go, you know, we're going to fix all this in one day. It takes a while. It really does. So I'll be really interested to see some of these dogs that come back. I'll bet you my dogs come back, you know, our training dogs come back in better mechanical mechanic shape than they ever have. Because I have a lot of owners that took their dogs home that really were village bill. What am I? What's the word I'm looking for? Vigilant and in keeping control like i know chris did a great job with preacher you know i know um they did a great they did a great job with um all these dogs that went home the pilots the preachers the rips and they because they know how hard it is to train them and they know how important it is so i'll bet you my our dogs come back in better shape than they ever have this summer i'm excited for it actually but
1: well, hopefully season one helped. Cause I know you did a lot. We did multiple episodes about just kind of helping clients with dogs kind of, um, better educate them on expectations. And, oh, and I'm sure. sure that was extremely helpful too, well, just the education. I, I
0: hope so, because we talked a lot about it and, and a lot of our dogs had a really good hunting se- seasons and a lot of them struggled just a little bit because they're, they were new and you know, it, it all went really, really good for most of them. Um, but this, this, when they come back, and everybody needs to understand, when you send your dog back to your pro, right? Your pro no understands your dog and what it needs to have happen. Don't get in a, and I repeat, do not get in a really big hurry. Here's the last thing a, a pro, a professional, wants to hear. My dog's coming back February 15th. When are we running our first test? Oh, there's a test <laughs> March 7th. When are we run that? Are we gonna run that test? No. Um, there's a March, there's a test March 15th. We run that test. No, like we'll let you know, just because the dog comes back doesn't mean it's ready to run a test. Let it, let us get it in shape, get it back under control. And when it's ready to run, it'll run. Cause I had, you'd be shocked about how many people, their dogs aren't even back yet. And I've had multiple people ask when the first test is. I don't even have the dog in back training yet they're excited i get it i get it but <laughs> the dog's not even back yet i don't i don't know what shape the gonna be or anything so but um is it a case-by-case
1: case basis
0: what was the biggest thing that you saw with georgie on her hunting i know you said something about her blinds um and she whined us a little yeah. bit how was her how was her marking <laughs> during hunting season how, how did you train at all during hunting season
1: No, I did not train at all during hunting season. Um, Her, her marking was great. The, the only issue that I had at all, she was creeping a little bit towards the beginning of the season when we were on land, anytime she's on a stand, she's hundred percent fine and she has to sit on the ground. She was creeping a little bit, but she just, she's less of a team player during a hunt. She just, she's just less of a team player. She's always hunt. She's always hunting. Now her whistles are perfect. She will stop and lock onto me every time I blow a whistle but then when I give that hand signal, she just she thinks she knows she wants to use her, she wants to use her nose she's just way less of a team player
0: yeah the, the, the worst dogs in the world are the ones that uh, while obviously the feather hunting dogs are the worst team players ever because they they have to be independent to be a great feather hunt dog. but a lot of the dogs that just concentrate on like a goose hunting dog right that when they goose hunt there's not a ton of cover like they're in a cornfield or a meadow or wherever they're at most of these dogs can see the bird they they understand what a dead bird looks like so they can see a bird laying there and a lot of these dogs that do mostly goose hunts you'll you'll kick them off and you will blow the whistle and they'll look over their shoulders they will do anything but look at you because they want to they want to see you and find out where that bird is at they, they, they can they've, they've done it so many times where they see it which is all fine and dandy until they need to look at you and then you're in deep trouble and how we combat that is we blow a sit whistle. If they're looking around, we give them a low nick on a, on a collar, blow a sit whistle again, they look at you. Good. And if they give them a little bit, they'll look away, give them a low, low, low pressure on the collar, a low nick, blow a sit whistle, they'll look at you. Make them do that until they're looking at you in training. Make them do that until mm-hmm. they're looking at you, consistently looking at you for a, a more of a period of time for more than one or two seconds, You know, a three or four second count, and then, and then handle them. And if you do that consistently, you'll, you'll stop a lot of that, especially if that dog went home and that dog didn't do that when it left. A lot of dogs that run pattern blinds to white buckets are notorious for doing that because they look for a white bucket or a white stake, and they ran too many pattern blinds, so they just want to look around for the blind pole. And they mm-hmm. don't want to look at you. They just want to look It's the same thing like a goose dog. Or a dog maybe that hunts on a rice field a lot where they can see the birds floating really, really easy. And they, they're notorious for looking around all the time. But, um, you know, we don't, there's not a whole lot to talk about when it comes to how to get your dog ready to go. Like I said, lots of singles. Singles off of multiple guns. If you start running your multiples, make them really wide open multiples. You know something that the, the areas of fall aren't overlapping where you have to make these decisions, you know, gradually keep your multiples, whether it's a doubles or triples open nine, 12, three, you know, 12, three, nine, 12. That way they're not having, they don't they don't have to make a big time decision to, to stay out of an old fall. And then once they are getting better <coughs> at it, tighten them up, tighten them up. So, um, but with anything else? That you all right. Think of
1: no, I, 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 and then like you said, just be careful of overdoing it. Um, yeah. To not yeah. get early, early injuries.
0: Well, it is, and it's funny. Well, let's go it, ahead. It'll happen. I mean, people are hey, it's seventy degrees out, and people overheat dogs at seventy
1: degrees all the time
0: because they're overdoing it, and hmm. dogs are not about ready that. for it. Let's do a couple questions on this deal.
1: All right, we've got two we're going to do today. And guys, if you have questions over at the Facebook group, the Flatlander Kennel Podcast with Chris Job and Facebook group, join over there. You can submit questions. We love doing these Q and A's. Dale Christensen, compare and contrast HRC Grand versus AKC Master National tests.
0: And this this is uh him and Jeff Meyer have conspired against me to ask this question twice. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer. Dale's got a really nice young dog named Rain and training with us that's gonna be fantastic. And she she's an HRCH um and that and is a Flash puppy. And Jeff owns a really nice dog out of Flash too, so they've got two really nice dogs. Um the the biggest comparison I I would say about the Grand and the Master National, there's two of them. One is a scoring system and one is the marking. So Grand Grand Blind Grand Blinds and Master National Blinds are a lot alike. You have to keep your dog extremely tight to the line. They've got to progress to the line and or to the bird. They're, if you can run a really good Grand Blind, you can run a really good Master National Blind, and if you can run a really good Master National Blind, you can run a really good Grand Blind. They're they're very very similar. The biggest <coughs> working thing is obviously. At the, at the at the Master National, you don't shoot a gun at the line. Um, there's an attention-getting device in the field. Duck call, shoot a gun, throw a bird. At the Grand, so the dog at the Master National is sitting there. They hear a duck call. They, sh- they hear a gun. They focus on that spot, and a bird shows up, right? So they have a, an attention-getting device for them to focus on where the bird's coming out of. And at the Grand, there is none of that. You're sitting at the line, you're blowing a duck call, you're shooting a, an 870 with a primer load, a popper load, and there's nothing to get your dog's attention in the field to mark off of. And all it ha- a bird just shows up out, out of nowhere. And the Grand is much different than a weekend finish test. The Grand takes pride in hiding all their guns you have, there's sometimes you have no idea where they're coming from. And you can't see it from the line. They've got them hid so well. So a dog has no idea. And the, so the bird just shows up out of the middle of nowhere. And until you've seen a 170-yard bird show up out of a bush, not skylining, it looks like a 300-yard mark. And dogs have a really, really hard time seeing those. And if they don't look right down the gun barrel perfectly, you know, sometimes the bird skyline, sometimes they don't. If they do skyline, maybe it's a really nice skyline. They can see it good. Maybe it's a one second. And that they, their bird, if that dog isn't looking exactly where that bird's coming out, they'll never see it. So to me, marking at the grand, and, and AKC guys, don't beat me up over this. Cause I like both events. I run them both. Marking at the grand is harder because birds just show up out of nowhere, it's just harder. Dogs have a harder time seeing them and adjusting, figuring out angles, a depth perception, and seeing the birds of the ground. There, I can't tell you, Elliot, how many dogs I've, I've sent on their name or dead bird back go a scent. They didn't even see the mark. They had yeah. no idea it came out. They knew it came out, but they don't know where it's at. They have to trust me to send them on a line for them to pick it up. I can't tell you how many times I did this last in the fall grand. Ten plus, maybe more than that. And a lot of dogs picked them up. A lot of dogs didn't. But that's the game that you play. At the Master National, yes, the marks can be a little bit tighter, maybe a little bit more technical. I get it. But the dogs tend to see – the marks a little bit better at the master national than they do the grand. And now this last master national, our first series was extremely hard to see. I'm talking extremely hard. Our first series of the grand, I do remember what the test called was. I didn't have a dog. See all three marks, not one, not one. And it was almost impossible to see them all. It was almost impossible. So that's the biggest thing when it comes to marking is, is is seeing the birds in the air. You know, AKC has the attention to giving advice, a gunshot, the grand doesn't. And another thing that that's another big comparison is the is the scoring system. So at the AKC Master National, you're scored marking, memory, blinds control, all that sort of thing. Sort of kind of like the grand, but you have a zero to ten scale. Ten being the highest, zero being the lowest. If you ever get a zero, you're out. But if you get a one or a two, you're carried, right? So at the, at the Master National, you are you earn your points, so to speak. So let's just say you start at kind of at a zero, right, on your marking, your blind running, you start at a zero. If you have a really good series and you mark really well, you get a, might get a marking score of eight or nine or ten. If you run really, really good blinds, you might get a score of eight, nine, or ten. You are getting rewarded for your work. So if that makes sense. At the grand, yeah. at the grand, you're judged zero, one, and two. Zero, you're out. One is marginal, and two is solid. You basically, at the grand, start with a two. And when you come out of that holding blind, they're looking for any quote-unquote fault that you're going to do. So let's just say you have bad line manners. Now you're down to a one, which is a marginal. Mm-hmm. You can only get a one and a one from a judge in the entire week and and you're out. You only get one of those. Two ones. You another one, you're out. You handle on Please. a mark in one of the four series. If it's a handle to the to the bird, that's a marginal marking. You only get one of those, you're out. If you have let's just say the first series you handle to a mark. Handle to a mark. That's a one and a one. One marginal from each judge. Next series. Let's say you have a marginal blind. You get a one-on-one. One, you're out. The grant is that's, looking that's for... It's hard. So the grant is kind of looking for you to stumble a little bit. And then when you stumble, they, they, they determine how bad it was a stumble. Does it require a marginal score or is it still a solid score? See what I'm saying? And once right. you lose those points, you can never get them back. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a poor blind in the first series and they give you a marginal one on one, you can line every single blind and pin every single mark to the very last. And let's say you're healing off the line in the fourth series and your dog runs out 10, 50 feet in front of you. That's a one a one for marginal. You're out for, for control.
1: So out of the whole contest, you can really only even mess up at all. One time
0: you can bobble one time one
1: time and that's it just once that's
0: so, it yes. because and once you lose those points you never get them back at the master national you can bobble multiple times depending on how bad your bobble is because maybe your next series you absolutely smoke the test and you did a, a phenomenal job
1: and they give mm-hmm. you a
0: higher score your scores have yeah. to average a 7 to get carried
1: okay See it's what I'm cumulative yes yeah. it's cumulative
0: mm-hmm. and you can you can <clears throat> earn points back so that those two yeah. things are the biggest are the biggest differences I, I, I see because you know dog work's dog work, Marking, marks are marks, blinds are blinds. It's whether you see them or not. Um, it is a major deal. Lion manners are a huge deal in both venues. It's really a big deal in the grand because if you're moving around, you're not seeing them, and mm-hmm. you're not seeing them, you're not picking them up. There's just no way. So without getting into a huge, huge um deal that is that's the nuts and bolts of it it's a nuts and bolts. It's a, they're both very difficult the grand is very very difficult um they're both difficult venues though
1: all right next question zachary eshelman how do you go about picking a good pro trainer
0: um first things first if there is a pro trainer on Facebook 24/7, they're probably not a good pro trainer. They just want to hear themselves talk. They should be training dogs. Um, that's one. Um, two is you need to go. You need to go see their facilities or watch them train some dogs, watch them run tests, um, and, and, and take word of mouth. So if you if you have somebody that has a dog trained by them, and you trust them, they say, hey, he's a good guy. He's a good dog trainer. He's a good girl. He's a good dog trainer. Um, then you can trust them. It, you have to sift through the junk. There is so much junk out there in the world right now with Facebook and Instagram and snap chat and what all the crap is there. The, everybody's a pro dog trainer. Every, just because you have a truck and a trailer and a Facebook page doesn't mean you're a pro trainer, professional dog trainer. Um, look who's been around a long time. If you've been around, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and you're still making a living training dogs. You're probably a pretty decent dog trainer and you're a good businessman and you're trustworthy and you stand up you're a stand up person um there's a lot of people out there that have trained for four or five years maybe even close to ten and they just fade away Like it mm-hmm. it's really hard to maintain a really high level at a kennel like they have a really good you know reputation it's it's really really hard to build a re- good reputation it's super easy to destroy it and you have to sift through the junk. And not everything you hear on Facebook, good and bad, is, is correct. So go meet them. Talk to them over the phone. Just because they're super, super nice to you doesn't mean they're a great dog trainer. Like, if you're going to have a heart surgery, are you going to go with a surgeon who doesn't have the great bedside manner but is an unbelievable surgeon? Or are you going to go with a guy that's an okay, okay surgeon but is nice to you? What are you going to spend your money on? right? Um, look Mm -hmm. at their equipment, make sure they have a a decent truck and trailer because your dog is going to be riding in it. Um, look at their grounds. Do they own their own grounds? Are they traveling 30, 40 minutes to train every day? And if they have to travel 30, 40 minutes, that's fine as long as they're doing it. If they own their own grounds and you know, they don't, that's easier to train if they own their own ground and it's good grounds. Um, Look at their records. Look at their dog. It, there's a lot of things to look at. The biggest thing is don't believe everything you see on Facebook. If there's a pro trainer out there, unless they have a, a hired Facebook person, if it's constant this, 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 and or they're arguing with people all day long on Facebook about how good a dog trainer they are or what to do, why are they arguing all day long? Why aren't they training dogs? Um, most really good dog trainers that I know aren't great at sending videos, sending pictures. They're just they're just not great at it cuz they're so busy training dogs. Do you want them to train your dog or do you want them to do glamour shots? So <laughs> that, that's just because you're getting pictures or videos doesn't mean they're a good dog trainer. But it, it's a hard thing that hard thing to say word of mouth and reputation means everything and do your re, do your research. Do your research. So there's a lot of bubble. All right. You pond kennel trainers out there. <laughs> yeah. They're everywhere. Well, it's, it's amazing how it's blown up, but
1: and I'd say if you're looking for a pro trainer, take your time, maybe don't rush. Take it, your time and, and
0: see who's been around. Like, and there's, there's, there's good dog trainers that have been there. You know, that they're just starting. There's some good ones. You know, if they're just starting, find out where they learned, you know, find out who taught them. Um, you know, not all the assistant dog trainers that go out there and go out on their own are are good assistants. You know, maybe call if there's an assistant out there that went on his own, call the guy that he worked for. Say, hey, I know, you know, thinking about going with this guy. What do you think? You know, ask just ask them. A lot of times they'll they'll be very honest with you. But um, most of the time, if you're if, if a, a pro dog trainer is trying to hide something, he got something to hide.
1: So, all right well i think that wraps that up anything yeah. else you want to say before we close down
0: no let's 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 wrap that up and then we'll start getting into the um flow chart again next time and i'm going to have a guest hunt coming on here pretty soon i just got to figure out who it is but we are going to have a guest here one of the next two podcasts and then we'll start getting our flow chart too
1: so but we're that headed Texas here at and, the end of the month
0: so we'll, be, we'll record down there
1: and if you have not listened to season one, we began going through Chris's training flow chart from puppy clear on through. So we're not all the way through it yet, but you can go back and see those episodes because it normally says Jobman's and flow chart in the title, and you can follow those right on through. And I, I love those long form audio. I find those much. Um, they help me a lot more than like a 15 minute video because they're so yeah. in-depth and so detailed. So if you guys yeah. want training help, that is where, Find it in addition to whatever else that you're using.
0: Yeah, our so. next. One, All right, I believe, is, our blessed our next one. Is sit the pile, right? We went I to think so. the pile. Now it's going to be sit the pile. Yep. Okay, and then we get into mini tea. All right, not a problem.
1: All right, so um, we are putting out episodes every other week. So be tuning in and share share it. Give us ratings and reviews. We'd appreciate it. Until next time, this is the Flatlander Kennel Podcast with Chris Jamman.
0: All right, guys, thanks for listening to us, see everybody at the line take that aim
1: I've got to strike this chord with the humble heart I'm in heavy chains and blue collar scars